Well, welcome to Teaching Changes Lives. It sounds really loud, so you might need to put me softer. If my voice is irritating you, just talk to Theron. He controls the, the volume there. Um, we're on the second part of the Teaching Changes Lives. And so as we launch into this, I have a quick question for us to think about as we begin this morning. And this is the question, do we see the opportunity to teach as a privilege? And that's one of the things I'm hoping we'll understand as we walk through this. One, and I always am upfront, uh, this Teaching Changes Lives was not going to be just three-part series trying to twist your arm to dive into teaching at City Light, though I don't mind if you feel a little twist and feel like you should dive into teaching at City Light. That's not the idea behind it, because we're all teachers, both informally and formally. But now I want us to just think about, and just kind of not going to necessarily answer that question, because it's a question you'll answer for yourself, but do you view the opportunity to teach as a privilege, and then the other side of that is just a burden. And if you think about it from the informal side and a little bit what I said last week, uh, maybe you don't teach third graders or maybe you don't teach teenagers, maybe you don't teach an adult class, but we talked a little bit about our Sunday school program and how uh, one of the things we do is it's an overlapping program where um, what the kids are learning is the same thing we're learning. We're in the same part of the Bible and how we, we designed that on purpose so that we would interact And I I mentioned the idea, whether or not you teach a third grade class, you have the opportunity to interact with third graders. You you could talk to one of them. And and we should, as a church, wanting and seeking that opportunity. And now I'm saying, do you see that opportunity as great? Now Kenny's asking me to talk to third graders. I'm done with that age bracket. Why would I ever want to talk to a third grader again? Or maybe more importantly, why would I ever want to talk to a teenager again? those things like that. And we say, now he's burdening me with more things to do. Or do we say, what a privilege God has given us that as we come together as a church, we have the opportunity and privilege of teaching. And that's what I'm hoping we get to because teaching, the, the, the whole point of why it changes lives is because if you're going to teach right, that means you've impacted the heart. It's not just a head thing. And it's going to communicate your heart to them. And so if you have a passion for Christ and you're teaching, then you're going to teach... To whomever you're teaching, that heart is going to be displayed. And so that's a little bit the idea of why we're getting together for three weeks and talking about teaching. One is to understand the implication or the weight behind it. You are teaching right now. You're, you're impacting somebody. You're talking to somebody. Now the question is, are you doing it effectively? And are you communicating your heart? And obviously begs the question, you better hope your heart is passionate about Christ because you're going to communicate your heart. So... Uh, Interestingly enough, if if you aren't passionate for Christ and aren't passionate about the things of the Lord, then you're going to communicate something else uh, to kids or to adults. And so as our heart has been transformed by his grace, then that passion is what we're hoping to communicate and impact the person who is listening and learning. And so I put in my notes what an opportunity and what a privilege it is uh, to teach. Now, diving into lesson two, I wanted to come back to the box illustration Um, one, because I want it to kind of sink into our head. Uh, This idea of of scenario one is I take the things I know and I think more behavioral. So I think I want to duplicate what I know and what I think and how I act in my student. And so I take what I have and I pour it from a behavioral standpoint, teaching a product. That's what it's called, teaching the product that I want. And, and this illustration shows you that whatever you have here and you pour into your students, less will be received. 
not only will less be received, but when you teach a product, I, I would beg, and I think at the end of this lesson, you'll realize that you rarely teach even this portion of the product because you won't translate to life change. But there's always leakage that comes out of this. And then you say, okay, great. Why the next smaller box? Because as this person, maybe they grasp the product, if so to speak, and they pour in, the box keeps getting smaller. And within one to two to three generations, you'll need an infusion of faith because they'll not know why in the world they believe what you've been trying to teach them the product to believe. Versus teaching them the process of learning. So think behavioral, think product here. I want a certain product. So when I teach the kids, I want them to talk, look, walk a certain way. I want them to conform to a, to a visual outside behavioral standard versus teaching them the process. And here it is the why and the how. So in this one, we start and you know, it's, it's unfortunate that suddenly we seem so uneducated because we have such a small box. But the idea is we start with what we have. And as we teach the why and how, so now we're teaching the process of learning. We're, we're teaching them the passion. This is where we're communicating our heart and the truth. As you teach the student, they take this and they grow with it and they continue. And what you see is a growing faith versus a diminishing faith. Because here, the student at best, can know as much as you know, and they never will. They'll lose from transfer. They'll lose because the experiences you're relating to and they've changed your life are going to be distant to them versus the why and how, and they're going to grow and they'll actually go past what we know and we'll understand God's word deeper than maybe we even know it. And we find a growing faith. And if you look at a church and you look at the scenario of what God wants generationally, this is what scripture looks like. If you look at Christ's teaching, he was not a data dump that he threw into his disciples. He actually said to his disciples, there's a whole bunch more I want to teach you. And when the Holy Spirit comes, he will teach you because you're not ready for it. He taught this way. He did not teach in this way. It wasn't just a product dump. Well, I'm here for three years, so let me get everything I can. I'm going to just dump everything into you. No, he taught them the process of learning and growing, and there was a faith that ended up growing in them. And if you read the disciples' story, I I think I've shared this before. Uh, Trenton's reading the Bible. This was last year, and he really resonates with the story of Peter. But being a young kid, he's heard the Bible stories, but he asked Heather uh, one time, he says, now, does Peter turn out to be a good guy? because he was concerned that Peter was going to crash and burn at the end. And Heather says, yes, he does turn out to be a good guy. And what's the idea behind it? Connect to this. When you read about the disciples in the gospel, sometimes you're like, wow, I think God made a bad choice. Like, these guys aren't it. This isn't what we need. But you notice that they kind of kept growing. And what's interesting is, what did they end up doing? And if you look at Acts, and I, I didn't scribble the verse down, I think it's in 17, uh, Paul leaves a city, and that city comes in and arrests the people, he, Jason, who he was staying with, and they arrest him, and they accuse him of something. They said, he harbored the people who are turning the world upside down. And I want you to realize something. If you and we teach this way, then we are going to duplicate what Christ has done, and you can see what they did in the world around them. Literally, they're accused of turning the world upside down. They had changed the world. And that's our goal, to turn the world upside down with our teaching. That's not because, 
you're uh, doing a million magic tricks, even though it's fun if you can do a couple of those. It may not be because you have all the charisma in the world or all the personnel in the world. Instead, it's going to be because you're a communicator. And that's what good teaching requires. Uh, today, we're going to be talking about be a communicator and cause communication. Uh, one expert notes this about communication. Communication is the reason for our existence. It's our business. And don't forget what business you're in. Our job is to communicate God's truth. And what we're going to look at today is what does communication actually mean? Because when I say communication, most of us, even in my own mind, I think words, right? What is said. I'm communicating to you because I'm talking to you. I'm giving you information. So therefore, I've communicated. And the idea that we're looking for, and I hope we can realize from one lesson as we move uh, to the second one, that communication is going to involve more than just the words that we speak. And so I just want to dive into a few components of communication. Uh, we're going to look at the whole of it. Uh, we're going to look a little bit about our, our character as a communicator. And then we're going to look a little bit at some practical things uh, that we can do while we're communicating. So you say we're going to get into some of the nuts and bolts, uh, some simple things to keep in mind. Uh, if you were diving into a teaching, whether informal or formal, how to connect and how to, to communicate what your heart is. Uh, one, obviously communication is going to deal with um, the concept at hand, the intellectual component. I call this the words or the lesson. When we think of communication, we think of the lesson. Now, uh, communication comes from a Latin word that I'm sure I can mispronounce like I mispronounce other words, uh, communis, which means common. So communication means making it common, not making it compromised, but you're making it attainable. You're putting it at a level. Communication is making sure someone understands what in the world you're talking about. So it becomes their property. And that's the whole point, ultimately, in communication, we'll get to this, is that the student internalizes what's being taught and can then say it in their own words. They are not regurgitating your words. They're not regurgitating behavior, but instead they're going to be able to communicate the truth in their own words and we'll see it grow. That's what real communication results in. So it begins with the intellectual component. What in the world we're teaching? This is the content and this is oftentimes the only thing that is communicated. But the fact is, if you're communicating, you're going to deal with feelings. I'm not the most touchy-feely person in the world. I joke, if, if I'm one of the Wizard of Oz characters, I'm the Tin Man. So that's, you know, always, but the only difference is I'm not worried about lacking heart. So there's just, uh, I'm not even thinking about it, you know. Um, the idea of feelings, and whenever I read that, I'm like, oh, feelings. We're going to get into the touchy-feely stuff. But the reality is, this is the passion. This is the fire. This is where you're communicating what it means to you, and we want to touch onto what it means to the kids. Uh, I've, I knew a, um, a young boy I taught in, it was years ago, Master Clubs. When I say years, I'm talking about 15 years ago, and he was a super smart kid. Um, you memorize a lot of scripture. If you're doing a Awanas, you memorize a lot of scripture. Well, this kid had every verse memorized, but he was just hard in the sense of how that truth would affect his life. And so uh, Joe and I worked together, Heather and Amanda were in as well. We had a decent sized children's program on Wednesday night. And Joe and I swapped out with this kid. One week, I sat in the hall with him because he was just 
terrorizing what's going on. The next week, Joe did. Joe, Job, Joe would sit there. I'm on Job this, uh, <laughs> next hour will be Job. Um, and I remember sitting with him and he knows all the verses very well. I mean, you've never heard a memory like this. And so I would have him quote the verse that dealt with his behavior. And then I would say, but you don't believe it. And then he would say, I do believe it. And I said, well, you don't believe it because you don't act that way. You, you don't feel that way. You know the words, but you don't. And so I would talk to him in the hall over and over again. And then I would ask him, I said, now, and I won't use his name. I'd hate for him to see this and he's doing well. Um, and I'd say, I don't, I don't know. You say you're safe, but you, you're not acting like a safe person. I, Mr. Kenny, you know. I mean, he would almost scream at me. You know I'm saved. And I said, no, I don't. Because you're not acting like it. There's no emotion. There's no passion. You know all the words. You say all the right answers. But there's nothing about your life that's pointing to it. And so we would go all the way through it. Well, one of the reasons Joe and I swapped out and we would talk through him and Joe had his way to try to reach his heart. And we would spend a lot of one-on-one time with this young man uh, through a whole year. But we hope it mattered. Why? Because we wanted to communicate to him that it's more than just you being able to regurgitate the information that we gave you. He's extremely intelligent. He could give us the concept, but he had no heart. And so we were trying to address that. Uh, Communicating deals with feelings. We were trying to show him what it really meant to be a Christian, to live that out, to really feel and, and, and desire your, 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 your emotions connected to serving Christ, not just regurgitating so you got a piece of candy or made your teacher happy or could skate under the radar. And then it deals with action. This is the volitional component. Where do they go? And this involves kind of a, um, a critical analysis of your teaching, right? Because sometimes we stand up and we'll say, okay, I taught it well. I knew the words. I had great transitions. I had great stories. I moved through it. I had captured 70% of my audience. But when you start thinking about it, and, and here's what I want you to know, we had about 50 to 60 kids in master clubs. My memory is of this one boy more than any of the others. And here's the reason why. Because we were consumed with actually seeing him live out his faith. And if you're going to analyze your communication, your teaching, then you are going to be, um, I wouldn't say the word critical. I use the word analytical because the word critical sounds like it's negative. But you're actually going to look at, are they learning? Are they changing? Not just can they spit back to me the words I want them to spit back. Not that they have their shirt buttoned correctly and their shoes tied with double knots and not loose. It's not about what they look like on the outside is do you see a change in them and look good teaching is going to cause change and so we're going to be dissatisfied and we we talk about that right sometimes as a teacher satisfaction is the biggest enemy i'm doing a good enough job it's good this is good well look one of the reasons for almost perpetual dissatisfaction and this is not a negative discontentment but it's saying I want to do better is because we should have a passion to reach every student and we should have a passion, not just that they know information, but that we see them feel that information, have a passion for it, and then also see them make a movement because of that information. We see a change that, that involves the whole of their being. And as we're communicating the truth, if we're causing learning, it will involve all of these components. They will know the concept, They will feel the concept and they will act because of the concept. They are going to have the full or the total personality affected by it. 
because we're not just communicating a word message. We're communicating a life message. And to do that well, it's going to have, there's going to be a struggle. There's going to be resistance. And so we're going to kind of dive into the components of the content now. But I wanted to give us the look at the whole. And I hope if you're teaching and you're connecting, uh, and then think about this on the informal way. If you're just casually talking to a kid and you walk by and say, hey, what did you learn in Sunday school? And if it's my kid, they're going to say, God, you know, you're going to have to engage them. You're going to have to see how that matters to them. And that means you're going to have to get down to their level. You're going to have to actually feel something towards the kid. You're going to have to have a desire to connect. You're going to have to have, you're going to have to work at it. Talk about the volitional side because kids aren't going to, as I mentioned to you, I want you to connect with the kids, but don't be a creepy connection, all right? So just try to balance that out, you know. Um, But as you're connecting, it's going to involve more than just words. However, words are a critical part of our communication. And now, how do we communicate the content? And and there's two ways you communicate uh, verbally. That's what I'm doing right now, right? I'm talking. I'm writing on a board. So you see things scribbled out or pictures, at least. Actually, someone else drew the boxes because... My right-hand drawing is bad enough, but my left-hand drawing is, is just abstract art, right? You may, maybe I could sell it. I don't know. Um, this is how often we teach, right? The verbal component, speaking or writing. Um, but there's also the nonverbal, the actions, the movement. And then I would put the life lived, the character. Um, when you stand up to teach, and we'll talk about this, if your character doesn't line up with what you're saying, uh, no one's listening, And that's not a fake character. We'll talk about that. It's just being real, being authentic. Uh, Now, what's interesting to me is is there was a study done, it was a few years ago, about how communication takes place. And they say 7% is words alone. And that 35% is tone of voice. Right? Because I can say, I love you to my wife. I wouldn't say it to y'all, but I say, I love you to my wife. And I can say, I love you. And she sees, yeah, okay, he might mean it. And I can say, I love you, right? Different reaction to that, right? Which one has me in the doghouse? <laughs> Probably both. But either way, um, the reality is this, our tone of voice changes everything about it. We can, we can speak in a begrudging tone, you know, where, where a wife or a husband is nagging for some type of reciprocal affection and finally we give it back to them. Okay, sure, I love you. Yeah, I care about the kids. That's right. Yep, sure I do. I care. Why do you keep bugging me? Of course I care. Well, I don't communicate that I care, right? I communicate that you've nagged me enough for me to say that I care. That's what I communicate. Tone of voice. It's going to say a lot about what's going on. And then 55% is body language. And we know this, right? That it's... it's uh, hard to really even teach it, right? Because I always, uh, I look at this and I, I still remember, uh, it's, it's a, when I say a friend of mine, a, a guy I knew and, and he was a, he's a preacher and uh, he really liked a certain preacher and, uh, and so he just copied everything he did. Have you ever watched someone preach while they're copying someone else's mannerisms and you're like, you don't look real. That's not authentic. He had body language and he had tone of voice, but I'm like, it's not you. It's like, a, it's like a robot up there pretending to be something. And the thing is, it is you, it's hard to teach body language. It's hard to teach tone because it's something that, that communicates more than just the words because we can learn to say different words, but you have to really, when I say feel what you're saying, 
for you to get involved in the tone of what you're saying and the body language associated with it. So if we're going to cause learning and if we desire to communicate clearly, here's the interesting part. The words need to match the tone and need to match the body language. So as we're walking into what we're doing and we're going to talk a little bit more about character, your life has to line up with what you're saying as we're entrusted with the best news ever, with God's truth, and we are one way in our life, and then we walk into a teaching opportunity and we're trying to connect on a different level, uh, we're not going to teach because we're not authentic. You can't be something else, and trust me, kids will see that, and, and adults will see that and then come up to a kid on Sunday morning and try to talk to him about God and spiritual things. And they're going to know there's a disconnect. And I'm not even talking about in a classroom setting. They're going to know how you were out there. And then when you come in, they're going to say there's something different. You can't scream and shout and get angry on a soccer field out here playing sports, walk in and talk to a kid and say, now, what did you learn in Sunday school? Well, not to be like you. That's probably what they learned. But you're not going to connect with their heart and life because they're going to say something doesn't line up. And so one of the things as you look at being a good teacher, it involves living out what you're teaching. It's to be authentic. I remember reading a book on sales. Uh, if you don't know my life, I got involved in, in selling. So I'm, I'm, I'm at the top three of the horrible people of the world, right? I think it's politician, lawyers, and then salespeople. That's how you usually rank them. So I'm not first. And my son wants to be a lawyer and get into politics. I'm like, well, keep the family traits going, buddy. Pick the worst p- professions. Everyone hates them, you know? But I was reading books on selling, and, and it talked about... Um, it's way back, Zig Ziglar. So he's writing about selling knives and he was talking about selling knives and he said a buddy of his was selling and this is back when you went door to door and selling knives and he said his friend was not selling and he was. And his friend's like, why are you selling? I'm not selling, what's going on? And Zig Ziglar asked him, he says, do you own a pair of those knives? Oh, they're too expensive. So you're going to a door and you're trying to sell a knife that you say is so great, but to you, they're already too expensive. He says, you need to buy a set of the knives. You need to use those knives and then go sell the knives. And what is he saying? You have to, he was showing it from a product standpoint, right? You have to buy into the product yourself. You have to believe in it yourself before you can sell it. And here's the, the reality. If you don't really believe in it, if you're not authentic, if you're not buying into God's message and what he's doing and what's going on and, and feel the importance and the weight of it, then when you go to teach it, someone's going to say, well, he hasn't bought into it himself. It's not authentic. Some people, uh, it was a, note, a side note, concerning testimony. Have you ever heard people say, you know, my testimony is my life. I don't need the words, it's just my life. And what's the most important, your life or your words? And I heard one person say, take a look at Jesus. What did he do? Well, he lived it and he what? Taught it. Can't split them out. And so just before you're like, well, you know what? My, my way of teaching is I'm going to live my life right. I don't need words. Yes, you do need words. Because what you say and what you do need to line up. And you can't ignore either one of those. And so as we dive into this idea of teaching, I hope as we think about being communicators, because our job is to communicate, that we recognize that we communicate to the whole of their personality, but we communicate with the whole of our personality. We can't split out 
and compartmentalize that. And I would say specifically when we're talking about biblical truth, which is dealing with living life on earth in a way that glorifies God. And so you can't teach about glorifying God and living out a biblical, biblical life when you yourself aren't living a biblical life. The best thing you could do for a church, and this might sound interesting, uh, especially since I said I don't mind twisting your arm to teach a little bit, but if your life isn't even attempting to line up with God's word, do us all a favor and don't sign up to teach. Because I really don't want anyone teaching a class if they don't believe to the core of them this truth. And I'm not saying we're going to live it perfectly. None of us do. We're all struggling Christians, but at least I hope you're struggling and not have just given into the world. Uh, that idea of being authentic. But I want to come back to communication and spend a little bit of time um, chatting about some practical sides of communicating, right? So say you're here and you say, all right, Kenny, I don't mind diving into a class, but I am, how do I even walk in? How do I, how do I start talking to them? And, and some things, as much as, uh, I don't know, anyone here had to take speech class before? Took a speech class? Loved speech class? Anyone love speech class? Some did, yes, I see some of you did. I actually like speech class because I was the teacher's favorite. So in college, it worked out well for me. But either way, um, it was, but you learn how to talk in public, right? And there's a lot of mechanics to it. And there's a reality that uh, we're, we have the Institute in Nicaragua and we have classes on preaching. Do you know that a good chunk of the preaching classes deals with delivery? As you'd be surprised how many guys head is dipped down, mumbling into their notes and we're like, You've lost them, buddy. I mean, you're not going to get anybody to listen to you because you're not, a, you're not speaking out. Your, your lesson is all over the place. And so a good chunk of even institute preacher training involves what I'm about to talk about in a much more expanded version. But here we're going to look at some of the components of how you would walk into a class. And, and we've all seen it, right? You ever seen a teacher walk in and you think to yourself, the first time they thought about this class was when they walked to the door back there and they wandered in. And then they started talking and you're like, they're just completely unprepared. This is awful. And then we've had teachers that deliver their information, but it's so drab and boring. And, you, you know, you forgot how boring it is because you fell asleep, right? You just it drifted off. Uh, the only people I excuse falling asleep while I'm talking are the babies. I'm just making sure Kedron's still sleeping back there. He's out. See, that's a gift. I just want you to know that. You can't get your baby to sleep, bring him to church. I will talk him right to sleep. That's, you know, I, you know, it's one of the gifts God gave me is I can talk you right to sleep. You know, I'm just trying to get Mr. Melampi to grow out of that, but he's just, he's not, <laughs> he's just stuck with it. He's like, I learned something as a baby. I'm going to stick with this, you know, no point. To... No, it's not. It's mine. It, that's the thing. That's the other thing. Culpability. If you, if you have students falling asleep, it's easy to blame the students, but usually you can blame, you know. Blame the teacher. So, you know, if you fall asleep in church, just say, Matt Kenny again, he blew, we ruined it. God can't preach at all, can't keep us awake, you know. Um, we'll actually talk about distractions. But here's a few things I want to talk about. These are details I call specifics uh, to look at some of the basics. One, be prepared. Make sure you've structured your material, that you have it packaged, that it's, that it's there. I, I remember watching this guy stand up to preach about 20 years ago. And it was a Sunday night and he was preaching on a, on a psalm. And all I remember was thinking, where in the world is he going? I'm reading the psalm in my Bible and I'm thinking, he ain't even here. He's not even in his own psalm. He is, he is off the reservation. He is just wandering all over the place. And, 
And guess what? You know what I remember about a sermon? That it was extremely painful to listen to. That's all I remember. That it was frustrating, that it was difficult. I'll be honest with you, I didn't try to follow it. I was watching my watch the whole time thinking, I don't wonder what I'm going to get for dinner because, boy, I'm hungry. And he's making me hungrier. And it's not for God's word. It's definitely for dinner because it was all over the place. And he walked out. And I remember hearing him talk about a sermon. He was all fired up about what he talked about. And I'm thinking, you talked about nothing, buddy. As nothing was organized, nothing was listed, nothing made any sense. I'm going to talk through a couple components. And again, this is not a how-to. I would say this. If you have a desire uh, and God puts that desire in your heart to teach, and maybe you have to overcome your own inhibitions, uh, we're here to help you work through lesson plans and how to teach and how we can help you uh, better that. But these are some basic components of teaching that are important. One, you want to have an introduction. You want to draw people in. You want a, a question, a story, a quote. I know one teacher, and he's famous for always having a quote. I'm not, um, I like to tell stories more than have a quote, uh, but I think you can dive right into the material if you can do it in a way that, that captures people's attention. You can have an illustration. Whatever it may be, you have to have an introduction. And the whole point of the introduction is to what? Introduce. <laughs> what in the world you're about to talk about. It's to capture the attention. It's to draw them in. And oftentimes when we come to teach, we're so consumed with what we have that we forget to capture the attention of the audience. Uh, When you have a good start, you also need a good what? Finish, conclusion, right? And this is the thing that a lot of people uh, don't do. uh, Years, uh, and, and you listen to certain preachers and you think, Hey, you had a lot of information there, but they don't conclude. Not that they don't wrap up what they're saying. A conclusion, especially when you're dealing with God's truth, involves an application. There has to be some connection to the street level. What in the world are you to do with this? And and the question I love is, so what? When I'm studying to preach, that's all I, I don't write it down. It's basically branded in my brain. I write the so what? I know it sounds a little sarcastic. If I'm reading God's word and I'm saying, so what? Not to God, not to the truth that's there, but I'm saying, so what to myself? So what? You're you're, you're communicating this truth. So what? What's the point? What's the movement? What's the application? Why in the world should someone listen to this versus just reading the commentary for themselves? Why in the world does, and because here's the reality, preaching is supposed to affect a change in us. And it says that in Romans, right? Well, guess what? When you teach, it's supposed to affect the change. And so as you conclude what you're talking about, you have in the back of your mind a so what? I changed, and this is probably, this is before we ever planted the church here, I changed something in my teaching and every point I make, I have written in my notes. And you may not know this, but it says action step. And so every point has an action. Now, sometimes when I'm talking through uh, two points, tie together for an action step. But in my notes, I have written on the page under every note, action step. In other words, so what for the information just given? I don't even wait to the end to think about it because I want them to apply. I conclude each point almost. I try to wrap it up with some movement, some street level application. Because if you're not going to conclude with something, if you're not going to close with, a, with an action that is, is applicable to life, 
then you haven't taught the concept well, because that's why you're standing there teaching. Uh, put here, don't forget illustrations. What do illustrations do, right? It's one, it's a connective point. It's a window into the material, right? You're teaching a concept, and how do you help someone see that concept? Well, a story connects to it. It helps them tie in their windows. And then one of the things that I've not read in a book before necessarily in its transitions, these are the sentences, stories, and conjunctions that move you from one part to the other part. Whenever I do a wedding ceremony, uh, I always tell the bride and groom this. I said, I can promise you one thing. It won't be awkward in the middle. We're not going to stumble over one part. I'm consumed with transitions. How do we move from one part to the other? That's what I think about. Because you put a wedding ceremony together and you know how that is. Every bride is a little different on what they want. And I say bride because the groom is really just along for the ride. And I tell them that just, yes, you're, you are her advocate as in, yes, I want to do that. Whether you want to or not, you, you want to do it. I'm trying to teach you right now. Your desires need to change. But there's different ways and places that people want things. What is the thing that is critical for it to flow right? Transitions. Thinking through movement and how it goes. Well, when you teach, you want to have transitions. When you're teaching, it's almost the atmosphere, the setup that, that comes in. And oftentimes, and that's why I say it's either it can be a sentence, a story, or a conjunction. It can be as simple as an and. It can be as complex as an illustration that takes you to the next point. But you're thinking about how to tie the whole lesson together, how it all flows. And that's, that's looking at what you're teaching from a holistic or a whole standpoint. You're saying, how does the whole thing fit together? Which leads us now to the big topic of delivery, right? When you're standing up, how do you deliver it? Uh, the idea of presentation. And I put here, it matters how you speak. It must be clearly. You need to enunciate. I remember years ago, I was renting an office from a friend of mine. This is in Westwood Office Suites in Fredericksburg. And this, um, I would say older gentleman, probably in his 60s, walked in. And so my friend is running the office. It's his computer business. I'm renting a room in his office. And uh, I actually enjoyed renting from a computer nerd because I would not do anything with my computer. If it glitched at all, I would just pound on his wall. I didn't even go to his door because he wouldn't answer his door. I just pound on the wall and he's like, stop. And I'm like, I'm not going to stop till you fix my computer. And so it's just, talk about being, obnoxious. it's like going back to being a toddler and enjoying it. You know, it's just... Give me my, you know, just goes right there. But either way, that's not part of the illustration. A guy walks in asking a question, and I would love to repeat what he said, but this man came in and did not enunciate a single word he asked, nor put any space between his words. And weirdly enough, and uh, I'll pick on people from Orange, I'd, I'd been living in Orange long enough that I understood every word he said. But my friend looked at me and he, he didn't want to say in front of this man, what in the world are you saying? Because he asked him, what did you say? And the guy would say it again. Um, and I, I could try. He said, y'all know an insurance company to be here? And my friend looked at me and he, the guy was asking, do you know what insurance company used to be here? Weirdly enough, I heard it. I could hear the words. I don't know why. I can put babies to sleep and I can hear old country jargon and I'm, I'm good. Right? There's the two things I'm good at in life. Um, so I translated. I said, he's looking for the insurance company that used to be here. And he walked out in front of mine and said, how in the world did you understand him? I'm like, 
speaking tongues. That's what it is. I'm, I'm, I'm an interpreter. You know, this is me. I didn't realize this. Uh, all that to say, um, if your audience has to fight to hear you or to understand you, guess what they're going to do? Check out. And kids, well, kids and adults. Actually, I give kids more credit than adults because I've taught both and you adults fade faster than kids do. They'll give you more. They're like, hey, what is he doing? Let's see what he's speaking. It might be a Star Wars movie. Who knows? You know, and so they're just, they might listen a little longer. But people check out. If you don't speak clearly, if they can't understand what you're saying. And so one of the things as a communicator, if you're going to teach, you have to communicate clearly. If you talk, and I'm going to go back to the informal side, you catch a teenager in the hallway and you start talking to them and they don't understand what you're saying. You know what it's going to do the next time they see you in the hallway? Avoid you. Yes. Put their head down and be like, oh no, don't talk to him. Cause now I'm just going to say yes and laugh a lot and pretend I understand him. Right? Cause that's what's going to happen. So if you don't communicate or talk clearly, then people are going to say, I don't want to talk to that person. I'm not going to connect. But as we speak clearly, enunciate every word, imagine if you can say the words clearly, you can enunciate them, but your delivery is in a monotone and expressionless way. What happens? You still lose the group. Uh, my undergraduate's in horticulture, okay? Horticulture, growing plants, there's a few key components. I tell people it's simple, roots down, green up, right? That's one. You got to know about light. You got to know about dirt, which I learned in college, you can't call dirt because that's insulting to soils, okay? So that's the thing. So I'm in soils class. It's 2 p.m. I discovered turkey sandwiches with gravy at college. So lunch was turkey sandwiches with gravy, um, I was, I don't know, 19 or so. So I ate as much as I could still do, but I got away with it back then. Um, I still remember 2 PM it's at Virginia tech. It's in this middle classroom with no AC springtime. Um, so in the wintertime it was, they, they would crank that radiator type heat up and it would get to that really cozy warm. I call it, you know, not sweaty warm, but really cozy. Um, I've had lunch 2 PM teacher comes in, and there's never a word of expression that leaves his mouth. Just as dry. And I know it's, it's soils class. We, got, we really did get in trouble for calling it dirt um, in class. It's a way to get a D in the class, call it dirt. Um, I still remember sitting there and he would start talking. And I thought, and I knew this is important. I, I get that this is important. If you grow anything, you know Soil is important, and you're talking about, we're, we're diving into this in a broad scale. I had an interest. Uh, my dad had done uh, mission agricultural work around the world, uh, done work in Africa. So there's, there is a sense of passion. My grandfather had been involved in it. So beyond just greenhouse soil, which we can make whatever we want, this idea of understanding this, I, I had a desire to learn this. But at two o'clock in the afternoon and someone walks in, he spoke clearly. He didn't, he didn't not say his words, but he spoke in a monotone, darkened the room and went through slides of soil. I don't know what he said because I fell asleep every class. That was an expensive two and a half hour nap, by the way, every week. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I was on the second row. I'm right there. I'm out. The guy doesn't care that you fall asleep. The whole class is falling asleep. Shockingly enough, in this class, a 78 was an A. This is the first and only class graded on a curve. I remember going to the guy. I was go visit your professor in his office. I went to visit the guy during office hours, and he was almost angry with me for showing up. 
I'm like, I don't understand what you taught because I was sleeping. Could you explain? I didn't tell him that I was sleeping part. He should know that. Um, he didn't want to explain anything. He said, well, we'll just find out on the test how much the people know and we'll just adjust accordingly. Oh, great. I'm glad we're paying for this. You know, this is wonderful. I actually was one of those obnoxious. I'm good academically. So I actually had a 90 in the class. I still remember the bell curve and there was three of us and my friends were like, what jerk got a 90? I'm like, I don't know. He's a horrible person. I'm guessing like you, you just need to guess better because I had no idea what I was doing. Just a very good test guesser kind of personality. But what happened? Nothing because there's no passion and no life. You have to speak clearly, but you also have to have some gumption behind it. You have to connect to what's important. You know what he never taught us in that class? He never taught us how important soil was. And most of us walked in thinking it was important and walked out with the idea that it was a waste of our time because we learned nothing. And so we didn't connect at all to it. I'm going to go back to the speech class I made a joke about before, but, and I make a joke about being teacher's pet, but honestly, she was passionate about what she was teaching. So guess what? We put our energy in that class. I still remember she brought people that spoke on the radio in to teach us about speaking and how to use your voice and how to adjust it. We had to do illustrative speeches. And so she was one of those people that would just get you to dive into what you're interested in. And so I remember a lot about speech class, but one of the most critical classes in my major, pff, nothing. It's gone. Why? Because he didn't care. He's just dead. You got to vary your voice, your pitch and speech. You got to show expression. You got to use gestures. My gestures are a little limited with my right hand. So I have what I call a T-Rex arm and a normal arm now. Um, Clayton asked me, he says, dad, can you move your fingers? And he put his hands right next to his chest and he goes like this. I'm like, I can still move my arm a little bit, buddy. I don't want you to be like, yeah, my dad does this all, you know, so either way, um, here's a word of caution though. Uh, don't use a fake voice or fabricated movement. Remember I mentioned a friend of mine or a person I knew that preached and they talked like somebody else and they moved like somebody else and they, they, they wanted to be somebody else. And guess what? We all knew it's not you. So don't make up emotion. It doesn't mean you can't watch someone and say, man, they teach well. They connect well. You should watch people who teach well. You don't copy them. You may embrace what they do and make it your own. And I mentioned this, make it your own before you start showing it off to the class you're teaching. Make sure it is who you are. So it's fine to learn and to grow, but don't practice on your class. I try to do little magic tricks for the kids. And, and here's the worst thing. When you try to do something you're not polished on, it's always horrible. Now, there's a certain age bracket that doesn't matter. Magic to them is you saying you're going to try to do a magic trick and they assume you did magic. You can do nothing, you know, and they still like it. But you get the fifth, sixth grade and they're like, eh, he's a fraud, right? You have to polish it. You have to be smooth. Well, for, for, and I use that illustration because it's the thing that kind of jumps in my mind. If I want to do a trick for vacation Bible school and I want to catch the audience of kids that are out here, then I had better have that so smooth that it's natural for me. And I say the same thing as you grow as a teacher. If you want to grab hold of something or, or look at someone's teaching and say, I think there's something helpful with that. Well, then you're going to make sure it's, it's part of who you are. I put a note here. Remember, it is a presentation, not a performance. You're not performing on stage. You're presenting God's truth. 
And we have to keep that uh, in mind. I want to touch on a few things before we end up. We have about five or 10 more minutes. Uh, I mentioned falling asleep, right? This idea of distractions. And there's two types of distractions. One are those that come from the individual, which you cannot control and should not be consumed with. What are they? Well, what if you only got two hours of sleep last night? What's going to happen to you during church? You're going to fall asleep. Do I control that in any way, shape, or form? I say this all the time. If you're that tired, get a good nap, all right? Because there's no point. What does it say in Bible? Don't waver between two positions. So I say just pick one and commit to it. I know some people, and it's not a good culture, but uh, I remember hearing about this one pastor. If he saw someone asleep, he'd have everyone stand up and try to embarrass the person sleeping. What does that teach that person? Just stay home and nap, right? Because at least they're here, right? You see, there's some distractions you shouldn't be consumed with. Now, if I look out here and you guys are all falling asleep, I'm going to assume that not all of you didn't have a good night's rest. And I'm going to say, something's wrong with my presentation. Something's distracting them or boring them to tears. But there are certain things that you can't plan on and nor should you be consumed with. Lack of sleep. Sometimes there's an illness. Sometimes someone's facing a personal crushing hardship and so they're not connected. And here's the sad thing. If that distraction consumes you, you, one, don't know the life of your student at all. You're distant because you're just disconnected and consumed with them paying attention to you. And two, you're working on something that's not your quote-unquote problem versus distractions that you can change. And those are the environment. And these are things to keep in mind. What happens if this room gets to 75 degrees? Man, get sleepy, right? What if it gets to 63 degrees? I feel great. You guys are cold, right? I saw it on Wednesday night. I had the AC on and I'm sitting there teaching and then I realize I feel comfortable. And then I immediately know everyone else is cold. And then I watched somebody put their jacket on. And I thought the environment's, the environment's slipping, right? Because it's too cold in here. Now, in my opinion, 68 is great. I keep my house at 67 in the summer. I hate sweating all the time. I don't like to sweat. But either way, the fact is I can see that, right? You notice it. Temperature something. Um, arrangement of the room. I taught the teens with Heather two weeks ago, and I decided, one, they have a more wider setup, and I have a T-Rex arm, and I'm lacking side-to-side motion. And so I decided I want to narrow the room, plus I needed a different space for a game. And so I moved the chairs where the tables were, and instead of it being eight chairs or ten chairs wide, it was only six chairs wide. And it was a little bit longer set. And I did that on purpose because I wanted to be in front of them. I knew that I couldn't move. At that time, my knee and leg were hurting a lot worse. So I had lack of mobility. And so I wanted a more narrow set, a little longer. I also knew something else. The second I moved the chairs, interest level went through the roof. I don't know how many questions I had. Oh, there are more chairs in here? No, nope, same number of chairs. Huh, seems like there's more chairs. Why is it like this? Oh, I'm sitting in a different place. Questions and interest. And you laugh. You think, oh, it's just teenagers, a bunch of simpletons. No, I guarantee you, if I rearrange the chairs here, it would blow your mind. You'd be like, wow, look at this. I can't believe it. What's going on? We do it for vacation Bible school. And everyone comes in like, wow, the chairs are straight and no angle. This is amazing. What? Because it's different. And I'm not... Be honest with you, if I walk into a room that's rearranged differently, I'm like, oh, this is, we do our living room. We, we change, we move the couch and swap it with the chair sometimes. And we come in and we're like, it's like a new room. 
and for a month, it's like I got brand new furniture because the chair is in a different spot as the couch. We're all that way. Why? It, it creates interest. And so it's not humdrum. You, 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 you work on that. You can handle that part, right? Those are distractions you have control of and you, you grab them. So as a teacher, you're going to work on that. Now, some of our classrooms, you can only set them up one way. I mean, there's no other way to do that. But then you're going to change maybe how you put your board or, or some other components because those are things that you can do to capture their attention. Our goal as communicators, though, is to have listeners grab a hold of the message, not be remove every distraction we can from what we're teaching, create as much interest as we can, walk in so that we can get the learner to internalize the message. What am I talking about? Ultimately, the fact that they can regurgitate what I said, it doesn't help at all if you could spit back to me my points that are written in my paper. Oh, man, I must have communicated well because you can regurgitate the things that I put in bold on my notes, and now you can regurgitate them back to me. Well, it's almost meaningless. You've memorized something. You know what the reality is? At some point, you will forget it. I shared about prayer, right? And I talked about a message that my pastor preached when I was in college. So that's 23 years ago. I don't remember any of his points, but I remember what I internalized from it. I remembered the application. I remembered the commitment. I remembered his passion. I remember that he communicated the need to be in constant prayer. That's what I remember. His three points or five points, I don't know what they were. All I remember, I do remember it was on a green slip of paper. And that's because I saw the slip of paper seven years ago. And I think I chose to throw it away at that time. But that's it. I, don't, I can't regurgitate the words, but I had internalized the message. I had that happen to me. Um, typically when I speak in Spanish, I'm working from something I wrote in English and I translate into Spanish because I typically think in English. And now when I go preach in uh, Nicaragua or somewhere else, I usually have my notes in English with just words I can't remember in Spanish because if I look down at a paper, if it's not English, it's just letters to me. Now, I know what the words mean if I read them, but I have to look down, my brain works away. But I was, it was a certain point in the ministry where I wrote a message that never had, had never taught it in, in English. I wrote a message from Jeremiah straight into Spanish. I actually made a point to read Spanish commentaries. So I was, I was diligently working on my message. Well, I preached this message from Jeremiah. It's about a fire in your bones, about the message having to get out. And Jeremiah is, is a fascinating book about some of the resistance he had to what Christ wanted. Well, six months after I preached, the director of our institute, and he was, he's in his 60s. He actually passed away uh, this year from COVID. But I remember him coming to me and telling me how he is working on teaching the kids about Jeremiah. And then he regurgitated to me, basically, my, my outline. Now, the one thing he had forgotten is that I had taught it before. And being petty, I was like, I know, I taught that, right? That's where my mind was going. And I realized, looking back, that it was probably the first time I preached a sermon in, in Spanish that someone actually learned. What happened? He internalized it. Not only did he internalize it, he actually put it in his own words. And guess what he decided to do with it? He decided to take the whole institute, all the students there, and he was trying to focus them in that year on that message. And, and uniquely, and I'll say it's uniquely because it's the only time it's ever happened uh, preaching in Spanish, he had taken the words that I had said, put them in his own words, retaught it, 
And so I wrote down in my notes, I should have kept my mouth shut and realized I'd finally communicated in Spanish via sermon because he'd internalized the message. What happens sometimes? Your students may not always remember where they got it from. And in some ways, that's a good thing because that means it's theirs now. They own that information. I tell people, if you read a book, there's no point reading a book and saying, I read the book. If you don't know what the book says and you haven't read the book, read it till you know it, internalize it, make the information your own. You can put the book back on the shelf. Now it's your information. You own it. It's yours. When we teach, we want our students to own it. We want them to take it, not regurgitate. Well, I remember what Kenny said. I remember what Jason said. I remember. It doesn't mean they might not remember that, but if they really learn it, it becomes theirs. It becomes who they are. And I come back to this idea, if you're going to communicate, then you're going to cause change in somebody, that you're, you're communicating God's truth. And here's what I want us to realize. We're not interested in students regurgitating our list or our behavior or interested in them understanding the why and how and growing and applying it and putting it into their own words. Um, it's not what I think, what I feel, and what I end up doing that's important when I teach. It's what my students think, what they feel, and what they end up doing. And so if you're going to evaluate whether you've taught well, then you're going to be looking at what your students are what? Doing, feeling, and thinking. Because if we're going to teach to cause change, then we should see what? Change. And we're not consumed maybe with whether they remember our funny story or our nifty points or the fact that I put every point in the same letter or the same type of speech. I'm interested in whether or not they've changed because of that truth. We want them to apply the teaching to their sphere of influence, to their point in life. And I put here, if you're going to teach well, if you're going to communicate well, you don't stop until you've reached them. And you've reached them when their thinking is changed, their feelings are changed, and their actions are changed. Not before that. Teaching that changes, reaches beyond the head, and goes to the heart. It affects the totality of their person. It reaches the intellect, the emotions, and the will. Now, we're running out of time, so I'm going to breeze through this last little portion uh, on character. Um, If you're going to communicate and you're going to change but you don't live that change, everyone's going to know that. See, your character, and it's not perfection, your character is going to give you a platform from which you can speak. It's going to give the student confidence that they can listen to you because you're not a fake up front there. And you're going to walk up, and here's the thing, when we sometimes walk up, and I see teachers do this, they assume the right to teach. I'm here, and so you should listen. And if you're going to be a good teacher, you're going to walk up and you're going to earn the right to teach. You're not going to assume it. You're going to earn it. You're going to say, I'm going to, I'm going to have credibility. And then we come back to that content component, right? And it's the third thing on the list. If you have the character right, right, and, and you have the atmosphere is all right, now the credibility is there. Now you're able to communicate the content uh, that you've worked on Uh, so hard. I've had this uh, illustration on this board for too long. Now I have to flip it around. I'm going back to the idea. And I was joking. uh, I was joking Kelvin about this because Kelvin's an anti-sugar guy, but I noticed he was eating three cinnamon rolls. And so 
I told Kelvin, I said, when Kedrin can understand words and I hear you picking on him about sugar, I'm going to let him know that his dad ate sugar. And, and, and Kelvin said he will have forgotten by then. I said, and that's why he has a church family to let him know the truth behind it. And so I was joking about this illustration and this is not mine. This came from somebody else. He says, I'm always looking for fat people. And Kelvin says, yeah, fat both physically and in this context. You know, I said, look, our goal is to get Kelvin to have a pot belly. So guys, that's our focus. It's the most, most fit guy I know. And so he's trying to get me to lose weight and I'm trying to get him to gain weight. So we'll see who wins. I think mine's easier to, to maintain. My, my physique is easier to maintain than his. But either way, it's this idea of fat, but I want to give you the words. What are we looking for when we think teacher? Faithful, which means you're here. Available, that talks about your desire and your willingness, and then that you're teachable. Uh, anytime someone is not teachable, and that's everyone, uh, then we lose our effectiveness and usefulness. If I'm going to stand up and preach and I'm not teachable, then I'm useless. Because there's, there's going to be a death to what's possible up there. So I need to be faithful, available, teachable. I want you to think about that. We'll talk more about that next week. Uh, as we dive to this, are you going to be faithful, available, teachable? You are dismissed and everyone in the lobby.